0: Welcome to WMH FM's Just-In-Time Conversations. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, inviting you to be uh, in community with us in conversations that matter with people who are making a difference. Today, our guest, Abdul Azmanu, um, my friend, my my, my brother, uh, and, and my political little brother, um, is here with us. Thank you so much, Abdul, for joining us and being in the community.
1: Yep, thank you. Um, and on the note of that song that led us into it, it is indeed a lovely day um, to be on here with you. Um, yeah, can't wait for some good conversation. Um, and uh give a little bit more about
0: myself to you yeah no i i um I was excited to 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 get together with you as yesterday uh, for those of y'all who may or may not know uh, I am Jamaican American, big up to my Jamaican community and all of the yardies howman you don't know um so nineteen sixty two right um, Jamaica finally got its independence from from England. Uh, we have been colonized by the Spaniards, French, and then the English. And so just thinking about that and thinking about everything, I, I was talking with uh, uh and Asmanu and talking about how amazing it is that um, right children of immigrants can be in this country and to have an um, immense amount of responsibility and kind of talking about the Africana experience, and so, you know, I, um. before we get into that, you know, um, please brag a little bit about yourself, so, Abdul, you are the youngest councilperson in Hamden history, what does that feel like?
1: Um, I think it feels pretty great from a personal perspective On um, to have, you know, some of the work and dedication that I've had put forth in, like, the past, you know, four or so years, um, that I've been in, you know, uh, uh, Hamden politics, town politics, to have it affirmed by the people in my community, uh, who I, you know, I've I've seen as I've grown up. I've lived in Hamden um, since about I was like six, um, in the same community that I ran in, um, and, and it's beautiful to have people that I just grew up around um, support me in such a meaningful way, um, and entrust, you know, entrust their vote in me, um, and to carry out the work that I said I was going to do. Uh, and it also feels great to, to have had some of the coverage that we had. had. Um, you know, I, I wasn't the only uh, young person to run. I ran alongside um, board member Khan, um, who was actually the youngest elected official in Hampton in history, um, and just to show people, um, you know, our youth in the town, um, that, you know, that that it could be them at these seats um, in, in the future um, so far as they, you know, have that you know, hard work and dedication to their community, um, it's possible. Um, And I think I kind of said it before, the greatest accomplishment that I could ever have um, is to take, you know, youth under my wing, um, mentor them and train them, and perhaps have somebody even younger than Miriam and I um, in the future, you know, break that record, because records are made to be broken. Um, And I think, you know, the measure of success uh, in my time on council is going to be how many people I brought in, um, how many people I energized uh, in
0: my time. Mommy, I said, there's no glass ceilings, only glass floors. Okay. <laughs> um, I So I, you know, you grew up here. Um, so when you were six before, you were in New York, if I'm correct?
1: Yeah, so it was actually... It's pretty funny. Um, so I was born in the Bronx. So I spent probably like the first four or five years of my life in the Bronx. Um, then I moved to New Haven for about a year um, right off of uh, Crescent Street. I lived on like Blake Street, actually. Um, yeah. There for a year. Um, and then my family moved not really far. Only about like a mile up um, into Hamden. Um, and I've lived there ever
0: since. No, I, um, I, um, that explains why my man got all the fashion. Uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll allude to this later, but yeah. (laughs) So I, you know, I, I, you know, I, it's interesting because we are in an unprecedented time where so many young people are getting involved in our political process. I don't think I, um, I don't think I've ever uh, seen as many young people take office, right? Uh, I know there's uh, the, the Alderman Ward one, right? Uh, Eli Sabin, right? Yourself, Miriam, um, right? Andre Bumgarner, right? There's just been Eloisa, right? There's just been a, a throng of young people, a lot of young people of color at that. Um, what did you think about politics before getting involved? Um,
1: so I actually, it's a really weird trajectory that I've had where I actually grew up, um, you know, caring about politics and it's kind of like difficult not to, cause it's like, like I was in first, in first grade, I was, it was like 2008, um, you had the Obama campaign and election, um, my parents watched a lot of, you know, TV, um, like BBC and stuff um, at that time. Uh, and it was just difficult to not see, you know, the monumental change um, and systemic change. Not systemic, actually. I have a lot of critiques about the administration, but that's for another conversation. Um, but a lot of the, you know, changes, you know, radical change for it to be that, you know, you can have a person of color as president of the United States. Um, was something really interesting that piqued my interest growing up. And I remember, like, waking up um, uh, the day after Election Day and knowing that there was a president that, like, had the same skin color as me. Um, to like, first grade Abdul, that seemed pretty cool. Um, and I think that's something that, like, still, like, carry with me, um, knowing that, like, as I run for office, um, you know, at, at where I'm at right now, improving the people that they can look just like me, be just like me, um, similar to me, and, you know, see themselves in those places. Um, and following that, um, I got really, really political, because my dad actually, unfortunately, tore his ACL when I was in, like, fifth or sixth grade. Um, so a lot of time at home for him, um, and if there was one thing that he always had on, it was some sort of, you know, political uh, show going on. So that actually was a big part of my politi- politicization, um, where, like, I was just exposed to a whole bunch of it. Uh, so it was either just, you know, watching baseball, soccer, or whatever sport was on or that. Um, so that played a big role in my politicization. But then, like, as I kind of just grew up, I got a little bit more apathetic, um, maybe in like my middle school years or so. Um was liked politics but wasn't really like so intimately and, like uh caring about it. Um and then after that I got into high school. Um then you have the Trump election. Um my sophomore year of high school, which once again just recharges that like, ah, politics is really important um bug and just, you know, pushes you a little bit. Um, uh, but that's not even really what inspired me to actually get involved in my community of politics. I just, you know, was able to realize that there were things in my community that I actually cared about and conversations that I actually cared about deeply and intimately. And I decided to start giving some of my time to, you know, campaigns around town um and having uh uh people come into my like classrooms and you know talk to me about local politics and I somehow fell in love with talking to people about trash and getting the road paved. Um so I could <laughs> stop doing it. I uh, still love still one of my favorite conversations um to have with constituents. Um those like small um but so so important things about our town. Um, but yeah, through that I just you know stuck around, kept on being involved. Found myself, you know, kind of progressing in like some of the duties and work that I'd, you know, you know, be doing on campaigns or in support of people that, you know, I really supported and, you know, found to be fighting the good fight. Um and then, you know. I'm your de- I was your deputy campaign manager, um, co-deputy campaign manager alongside Maryland. Um, for your state senate run. Uh, also, like right before that, like, my DTC caucus, where um, I, I, I ended up in a primary where that was like my first time voting. It was only like 18 years old in like two months. Um, and it didn't hit me until like people started like bugging me about it. And they're like, wait a minute, you do just realize that you voted for yourself, like, on the first time you're, like, legally able to vote. Um, so that was cool. Um, and I think that that's something that I'll always, you know, carry with me. But my politicization has always just been a weird topsy-turvy thing where even um, prior to running for office, I, I, I questioned myself a lot. Um, and I, I kind of get that from, you know, uh, Senator Winfield, who was a great mentor for me um, and give me gave me great advice. Um, who told me that if you can't figure out like a solid, concrete, unshakable reason for running, then you probably shouldn't be running. Mm -hmm. Um, For, you know, months and, you know, weeks, I, you know, would ask myself, why am I running? What do I want to do? What is the purpose of running for me? And what is the impact that I want to leave? And I found that really important in coming up with that decision to run. Um, Because as have you've said before, I I was at a point where I was like, "All politicians and politics suck." Um, And yeah, like, do I still kind of believe that to a degree? Like, depends what day you ask me.
0: But yeah, you are listening to Just in Time conversations on WMHHFM FM one hundred three point five. We are talking with our guest, Councilman As. Abdul Azmanu um talking about politics talking about young people um I um I yes I often say all politicians are feds and sellouts and I always love when people are like you I'm like yes <laughs> I, <laughs> like I, an exception to it it's like no, no really. <laughs> I, I I think you know one of the things that we often right um these systems and institutions are large and hard to change. And, and so, right. It's always easy to be critical of the institutions, but I think sometimes that becomes personal critiques. And so, you know, one of my favorite mentor, one of my favorite uh, uh, figures that I look up to, right. um, Is Marcus Garvey, right. Proud Jamaican, right. Also in New York. um, Who, did a lot to write, Call. I I think one of the most exciting moments to me is when the honorific, right? When people are like, when I got the first piece of mail and it was like the Honorable Justin Farmer. And like, for me, I thought it was silly, um, but thinking about Marcus Garvey, right? And for those who don't know Marcus Garvey, right? He was a black writer, um, and labor organizer from Jamaica who immigrated to the U.S. and did a lot about getting black people to dress up, right? To stand up straight, right? To bestow respect and dignity to themselves. Um, and really, you know, at a time that most of us were doing domestic work, really give us a sense of pride. Um, and so. Um, that's someone who comes to mind to me when I think about Black leaders. Obviously, he inspired people like Martin Luther King, right? Malcolm X, right? And, and so many other uh, that came out of that. Um, who, who are some leaders that in, in, in inspire you, right? Uh, and and, and kind of you draw off of their energy? Mm-hmm.
1: So I think in the present day, before we start to go back, um, I look at people like Chuckwe Lamumba. Uh, doing this thing in uh, Mississippi, um, and I can't wait to see what he does because national stage is right there waiting for him. He's doing amazing things in Jackson, um, and also Char- brother Charles Barron, Uncle Charlie, himself, hey. um, showing exactly what you know being a black radical in office looks like, um, and getting tangible wins for your people while staying true to your core message and yourself. Mm. Uh, and then when I look back, you know, I, I think. You know, looking at the real, authentic um, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and Malcolm X, I think not only in what they've done and what they did, um, looking at the progression of, you know, their thought and what they believed in and that, you know, sticking true to their, you know, core principle values, but understanding that, you know, through experience um, and learning, because we are always learning, your you know, your visions and what you think and what you believe, um, can change, um, and that's perfectly fine and okay, uh, because we don't live in a static society. Things are always dynamic and changing, and we're learning, um, and, and that's exactly what well, I believe every leader um, should be open to. Um, there's always going to be new things that are coming, and um, you're going to be learning about, so it's, you know, best to, to have an open mind, and don't be afraid to, you know, venture into places that might have you know, things contradictory to what you believe because you never know when, what may come out of it. Um, and then I also look, you know, across because, you know, I, I'm my parents are from Ghana. So, like, I got to have some like, African influences over there. Um, once again, Nelson Mandela is someone that I really look at uh, in the work that he did against apartheid in South Africa. Um, Thomas Sankara. Um, hey. A wonderful example of what, you know, what what humanity leaders have to have uh, came into office um, and sponsored reading programs immunization programs um, and just came in with the demand of that you know things as small as like he wouldn't allow for his um, his rooms to be air conditioned because he knew that people in his country couldn't afford air conditioners um, and from him comes the you know wonderful saying that we have to you know choose either champagne for few or water for all um hey. and that you know this that humanity um no matter uh what position you find yourself at in this world um it's something that sticks with me um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't you know mention any influence from OCIJ uh Kwame Kwame Nkrumah himself um <laughs> the uh first president of Ghana um he was able to really um alongside other you know black intellectuals at that time um talk about how the spirit of liberation and liberationary movements and you know socialism of that sort is is not tied it's not exclusively tied to eurocentrism or european as there are many elements of our culture, you know, no matter what part of the diaspora that you're from that promote, you know, the ideas of egalitarianism um, and community and caring for one another and looking out for one another and having, you know, the common interest in mind. So I think that there, are, I could go on forever and ever about, like, people that, you know, inspire me and I, you know, always think about um, and look up to and wonder, you know, even now when I make decisions, what would, you know, this hero or leader do? Um and I think that they're just wonderful moral compasses um uh, and how I you know go about my daily affairs. Yeah.
0: No, shout out to my man Michael, Michael Manley, right? I uh I I um yeah. first uh, president uh of Jamaica, Prime Minister of Jamaica, um proud socialist, right? Um and, and I think, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I I feel a profound collective responsibility, right, uh, about blackness, right. Like I, I right view my actions as, as right as a representative for my whole community, and I think that just comes from many of our country's politics are more of a collectivism rather than individualism, and so it's always like, right, I love that line, right? Water for all or champagne for a few. Mm -hmm. Um, As you know, brother don't drink, so (laughs) water for all sound good, right? (laughs) Um, You know, looking at past movements, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, from reconstruction uh, 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 to the civil rights movement, you know, there's been a lot of progressing forward and progressing, digressing, right? Um, what things do you see moving forward uh, uh, currently now? And what, what what things are you concerned about uh, us going back?
1: So I think that something that I see moving forward right now um, is is the energy and spirit. That's the number one thing that's got to be there. You know, you talk to anybody, they know that something's going wrong and something needs to be done. And what we need to do is harness that energy in a manner similar to, you know, those, move, those past movements. Because um, as, as you, you and I always say, there's no need to recreate the wheel all the time. We have, you know, our, our ancestors that have, you know, bestowed upon us great knowledge um, in, in their actions and things that they've left behind for us to learn from. Um, and and I think one of the things to learn from them is you know I think we can say reconstruction was unsuccessful. It's like historically Thanks. historically we say that reconstruction was unsuccessful. Andrew Johnson kind of literally sold out reconstruction to hold on to his presidency you know following Lincoln's death. so I, I think that we can say that was a failure. Um, and that was a time where I think you know our people um, trusted you know institutions which, there's a little bit of trust that you have to bestow upon institutions um, in liberation and movement work. But I think that you can see examples of how they, you know, came with a different approach during the civil rights movement, where you had people working inside institutions, you know, with test cases and all sorts of things, um, but also working outside those institutions and just, you know, actual you know, movement and organizing um, outside of those institutions on the street. Like the Montgomery bus boycott did not happen in a town hall. It happened outside. Um, many of the, you know, wonderful things that we, events that we talk about were not, you know, products of uh, of folks that were in in institutions. They were the product people in the street um, and, and harnessing the energy of movements that don't have to, you know, be tied to any institution one way or the other. And so I think, you know, as we, you know, face a lot of really scary things, um, we have a judicial um, bench that, you know, looks scary for the you know next 20 years, but we need to understand that our, our ancestors have put forth, you know, the, the idea that it's possible to get things done outside of institutions as well as, you know, we have gotten things out inside of the institutions. It just takes the will of the people um, in organizing um, to get so done uh so i think I, I, I have great hope for where we are um where we can be because um, cuz we've seen worse um and you know as a lover of history um things sometimes do get worse before they get better but here's hoping that this is the worst it gets um, um until you know things get much better
0: you know i you know i i think something interesting that you um just said, right, like formalized institutions, right, politics, judicial branch, right, Um, aren't necessarily where a lot of those changes started, but these informal structures that that became their own institutions, right, SNCC, CORE, um, right, NAACP, right, where Uh, they were able to collect people together and and show their collective power. Um, It's always baffling to me that, you know, um, the courts that ruled on the Amistad, right, case were also the courts that ruled on, like, Brown versus Board, right, or the, the court that voted in favor of, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Act is also the same court a couple of years before is like, yeah, 14th Amendment, right? Like, everybody, like, has, like, freedom, including people that we didn't specifically say. And then to be like, actually, you know, Asian Americans, uh, no, this doesn't count for you. And we're just like, bro, y'all can read, right? Like, words are words.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that speaks to the historical, like, notion that, you know, the law is dynamic, um, is not static, Um, And and, and is not really based on it's not based on a a, a moral compass of good or bad, um, but it is our job to organize and steer it towards um, the compass that the people see best and see fit. Uh, So, yeah, like a, a lot of our ancestors, in order to get the rights that we had, you know, had to be civilly disobedient. Um, and push those laws to their extents and limits um, to get to win the game, you know, to get the wins that we have right now and rights that we have right now.
0: I mean, it's a Frederick Douglass, 4th of July. Um, amazing speech. If y'all have not read it, definitely read it. Um, um, definitely a lot of the contemporary issues that we face today, um, he speaks to about what the American promise could be. Um, and also it's hopeful, right? I and mean, this is in the midst of like the last vestige of slavery. Um, um yet is very hopeful. Um I you know what you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are gonna watch this who are saying like Justin, Bill, I'm not a person of color. Like what like like why is One, why is Pan-Africanism important and why should it be important to me, right? What's your thought to that?
1: Um, So to me, Pan-Africanism, first I'll start with what it means in the diaspora for me um, and and folks from still in Africa. To me, it means, you know, unity and, you know, community um, instilling those values in ourselves that, you know, my neighbor's problem is my problem. Um, the person that lives 50 miles from me, their problem is my problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it often reminds me of of the beliefs of Kwame Nkrumah um, and other African leaders that that the purpose of a pan-African unified Africa is that, you know, so far as there's an injustice done to one African or member of the diaspora across the globe, um, it becomes our sole problem as Africans um, in the diaspora um, to make sure that this person is um, done justice to um, and is not further wronged. Um, so, what that means um, for me, in terms of folks that uh, don't find themselves, you know, included in this pan-Africanism um, that I speak of, that these, you know, values do not stop with just folks that are African or in the diaspora this communalism, um, as we can see across history, um, doesn't only end at folks that um, I see themselves and identify themselves as Black. Um, so it's almost like some of the contemporary issues that we talk about um, in policy, where people will say, oh, this is a Black issue, or this is something that only helps Black people. No, no, no. It helps all yeah. um, um, and has the capacity to build a better community. Because as, you know, our wonderful rep, Porter says, when you lift from the bottom, everybody rises and gets put up. Um, that so that's is. that, um, you know, countering some of that individualistic and divisive rhetoric that, you know, oftentimes leads people to think this um, is key and we have the capacity to do that um, as a people.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, y'all are listening to Just in Time Conversations, FM 103.5. Uh, with your host me, Justin Farmer, our wonderful guest today, Councilman Azmanu, uh, um talking about pan-Africanism. Um I you know time and time again we see issues like whether it's blood diamonds or blood cocoa, right? Or um the 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 number of cobalt uh mines right cobalt is so important to electrifying Uh, uh, in greening our economy yet most of those natural resources reside in the African continent, right? And so uh, you know, I think something you touched pointed to, right, that right, uh, not to be biblical, but to to serve the least of them, right, is to serve the most of them, and that that we are all woven in in, in this one garment and that uh, you know, that us having this ability to connect to the issues um, um, really brings us closer. Um, you know, what, you know, what, one of the things that I've had the pleasure and ability to do is to travel um, um, and, and experience Blackness in different ways. Um, I, I will never forget running into this man when I was in Finland um, on a trip to Russia and uh, talking to him and just being surprised where he's like, yeah, I'm a black Russian. Like my family has been here like five generations. He's like, I don't know anything other than here. Uh, and it just blew like this man was like 50 or 60 or something. And it just blew my mind. Where I was like, Oh, This man has a completely different experience.
1: So he was Um, actually part of the um, groups of uh, Africans and Blacks that we had um, that moved um, uh, upon the USSR's, um, uh, you know, creation. Um, Some left, um, some stayed for generations and generations, as you saw.
0: You know, I write and I just so like. How have you experienced blackness, different from? being here in America versus like traveling to Ghana.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I actually, Ghana is the only place that I've internationally traveled to. Um, and and I think it was, for me, it was kind of an experience that I've never had before um, because I've grown up uh, for the most part in like majority black and brown areas. Um, but to be surrounded in a space by folks that you share the same you know similar language as customs as um in a shared culture um was kind of actually weird and awkward for a while because I'm so used to being exposed to so much like even to the point where like I have like a really good decent handle on Spanish because of you know some of my formative years in the Bronx and being exposed to Spanish at like a very young age um, so yeah it was just kind of awkward um but kind of refreshing to have that um have that experience, but um, even there in my experiences, my blackness, uh, with my blackness, um, not really everybody, but you have people there that kind of see you different, treat you different, um, and try to kind of put you on a pedestal of sorts, because, you know, they know that I'm born from America, they know that when I speak, you know, a language to them, they can, you know, sense in my accent that I'm not, like, natively from there. Um, And it was kind of, you know, awkward and not really used to that, uh, being treated like a first class citizen of sorts, where people were willing to do like really big favors for me. Um, And I think one of the things that I just always requested was that people, you know, treat me, you know, the same as they treat um, everyone in their, you know, in their family, all of their neighbors that they saw. Um, Not for only I'm a tourist, I'm, you know, a part of you and I'm one of you. Uh, and I will accept nothing less than, uh, nothing more than the treatment that you give your neighbors.
0: Uh. Yeah, no, I, um, it it was unreal. I, I remember this one time being in the Hermitage, um, one of the largest museums on the planet. And um, they're taking a picture of a 4,000-year-old mummy. And I'm souped, right? I've never seen a mummy before. I'm like, oh, this is cool, right? And I'm taking a picture of it, and, like, I turn around and there's, like, 40 people taking a picture of me. And I'm like, like, what? I'm like, dude, like, there's plenty of countries with a ton of Black people. I'm like, I don't understand, right? And, like, I, I think those experiences are really wild, where there's been so much progress here in America, but I think like there's so much more progress to be made. And I also think like the, 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 just like uh, we have something special here where we can, it's not on normal to see a mix of cultures and communities live amongst each other. And that is something that is, relatively new um and unique in in the uh the existence of, of you know nation states right uh, mm-hmm. to have people of different backgrounds generally have the same citizenship status um
1: yeah it's a unique sort of racialization that we have here that I can only look at, you know, Brazil, um, which has, you know, I think Brazil is like miles and miles ahead of where we are right now with racialization, uh, for better or for worse. Um, And and, and that's pretty much the only place on Earth that I could name where, you know, you can see people of all colors and cultures just in the same
0: place. Uh, I, I know this is controversial in terms of, like, you know, um, uh, colorism, right? And so how do we break through those lives, right? Like, I, it is saddening for me to know that there are other Black people with darker skin than me that just, statist- like, what, we look at the statistics, right? Like, we just know that People being on a spectrum of, of sheets have different privileges in our society. And so outside of things like this, us being in dialogue, being in community, talking about these things, how else do we bring this to other people's attention to, like, say, like, we need to change these societal dynamics?
1: So I think that, um, that, that we're in having these dialogues and conversations, we're taking a really good step. Um, and changing some of the social infrastructure of it, but we need actual material change. We need codification, uh, uh, much similar to the Crown Act, um, that discrimination. Uh, once again, another shout out to Rep Porter and her amazing work. Um, but we need to codify um, and ingrain um, the fact that no matter what shade of you know black you are, um, that you, you you know you deserve equal and fair treatment. Um, that that is equal to the treatment that some of your lighter um, brothers and sisters are are, are guaranteed to. Um, So I think um, tackling that, you know, that material uh, deficit that people um, of darker skin face um, is truly important uh, because, you know, people lose actual wages over this. People, you know, lose actual, you know, material things that exist um, intangible, like actual career opportunities. Um, and life opportunities from this. And I think tackling that, um, is probably one of the most important things, um, uh, that is to be done.
0: How important is intersectionality, right? Uh, we, I think, I would hope, right, people would know of people like Marsha P. Johnson, right, uh, trans woman out of Boston, right, um, uh, or Paul Murray, uh, uh, amazing uh, uh, woman who led most of the uh, legal arguments for things like Brown versus Border to desegregation of our lunch tables who um, um, uh, felt that they might have been a man or should have been a man, right? Russell Braxton, right? Being a a a gay civil rights leader. Uh, James Baldwin, right? Like me, intersections have always played out in our struggles and, and we've always been at the forefront whether you're talking about um women's liberation right like Harriet Tubman right Angela Davis right uh how how important is intersectionality to pan-Africanism uh,
1: it's it's I find it critically important because um, there's so within our you know African uh, within our, ourselves as Africans, I and mean, once again our diaspora, we share so many different identities. Whether it's religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, and just so many different identities that you know that that are there alongside our blackness. That um, understanding what that means for you know not only for us sharing all of those identities but our our other folks that, you know, find themselves in our Africanness and diaspora, um, finding, you know, learning more about what that means for them and and coming to that respect for, you know, what their identity may mean to them or not. Um, Because the only way that we, you know, achieve true liberation um, is through liberating all of us. Um, if, if, If our Black trans folk are not liberated, then we are not liberated as a people. Uh, if it, it, our if our black folk that you know share any like marginalized or oppressed um, uh, identity are still oppressed, then we are not free as a people. Because um, I almost say it myself oftentimes, where um, you have people that you know will say, "Oh, but I am just African. Um, I'm from this country," and will claim their ethnicity and nationality. Um, in, in this country. And I say no, no, no to that because when I'm being oppressed and discriminated against, no one stops and looks at me and says, oh, Abdul, I am I am oppressing and discriminating against him because he is a Black, um, he's a Black, he's a Ghanaian, no, not even Black, he's a Ghanaian male that is Muslim um, or so. No, they just see my color. Um, they might see my religion, um, but they see my color first and that is what they oppress and marginalize um, first so I think recognizing that um and then understanding like our, uh, our our secondary and tertiary identities um and what that means to us in the struggle in this movement um, is totally important uh to build that you know community um and relationship that really is necessary um um in our fight and our struggle for um equality and liberation.
0: Yeah. This is always a, a hot topic, um, and, and something that people have been having, um, right? Um, the, the conversation and concept of critical race theory. A, um, you know, how important is history in, in, in terms of grounding ourselves in future movements, and you know how do we move towards having pride in our shared history, right? Like, I I think for me, it's wild. Reconstruction was only 30 years, right? Like, that's less time than I've been alive, where I'm like, oh, that's really, really short. But then I also think of people, right, Um, like John Brown, right, a white man here in Connecticut, um, right, who was an abolitionist, right? And so I've, I feel a draw towards that history, although we don't share the same skin, right, or same origins. So, like, how, how can we collectively own history? And, and do you see being critical uh, of racial uh, tensions uh, 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 being a problematic theorem?
1: So I'll actually first shout out um, the great professor from Southern Connecticut State University, actually a Republican himself, um, Jonathan Wharton, um, who t- who teaches a class um, on race, ethnicity, race and ethnicity, and politics. And one of the things that we touch um, is critical race theory. So um, I was actually taught um, what my understanding of critical race theory is from a Republican, uh, you know, who you know taught it quite you know beautifully and honestly. Um, and was able to convey kind of the, the beauty of critical race theory in that you can talk about critical race theory in a many different sorts of art form. You can look at it through the lens of music, through fashion, through film, through law, just through so many things. And I think that's what makes it appealing to me, um, that you can teach it um, in any sort of you know common vernacular that you wish to um, and have, you know, people understand it in such a tangible um, and meaningful way. I mean, I think it's critically important that we look back at our history to learn. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of the, um, I'm not, I don't belong to the Akan tribe um, from Ghana, but they do have a saying. Uh, it's called Sankofa, um, which um, it's pretty much just like a, a peacock or a, a bird of some sorts actually Turning its back towards um, its um, turning its face towards its back um, to reach for a golden egg, um, and the meaning of that pretty much is that you must um, understand your history to move forward, um, and sometimes you have to actually look back and go back to actually progress forward. Um, so I find it critically important that we learn about our history. Um, we we have the you know the common uh, saying that history repeats itself. But oftentimes history repeats itself because we you know, allow ourselves to forget it um, and not understand those lessons of the past um, as they you know, continue to resurface and become even further problems. So I think that whether it's you know, our own history, our history of other people, like you, know, you have the history of you know, Mexico and the Zapatistas, um, and, and you have you know, uh, people that fought for freedom in Ireland against um, yes, you know, the British, um, you just have all these global struggles that we can learn, um, that we can learn from, you know, as we, you know, find ourselves, you know, looking at abortion rights. We have um, activists that, you know, we in South America um, and, and we're able to fight back um, and actually have some of these things repealed. There's just far too much history, um, you know, within the realm of liberation um, and fight for equality and struggle across, you know, races Um, Ethnicities um, um, and religions and sexual orientations, for us just to you know pigeonhole one specific
0: fight for for equality
1: and liberation.
0: Yeah, no, I I I completely agree with you. Right, Um, us being aware of history, right, Um, is pertinent. And, And so, you know, everybody and their mother will read. You know the art of war and be like, "Ooh, right, but like how many people read the Ten point plan, right, <laughs> and like um us choosing who uh influences us and, and us choosing who to understand um impacts uh, 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 uh,
1: uh it's almost like to quote um Marcus brother, the honorable Marcus Garvey that you brought up. Um, a, a, a tree without uh, there 's a tree not knowing its roots um so you 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 have to um, understand uh, your history um and, and i wouldn't even exclude um, the history of others to understand um yourself and who you are um, and your place in this world whether you are um, whether you're black um, white or whatever um race or ethnicity you belong to well
0: i i um to quote the amazing poet, musician uh, um, uh, 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 Mina Simone, right? Uh, To be young, gifted, and Black. Uh, uh, As we uh, close out uh, in our time, um, please share, if you don't mind giving us a twirl and sharing your amazing shirt so that people can see the amazing artwork.
1: Uh, Yes, yes. And I'll also thank my good friend Kevin um, for uh, telling me about this shirt. Um, It just has a bunch of amazing African leaders that were um, involved in, like, colonial struggles um, throughout um, the, you know, post-colonial period of Africa. Um, And I find it really important to um, actually have some of, you know, my apparel kind of reflect my beliefs. Um. Because um, your, your, your identity and your beliefs and showcasing that in the most you and authentic way possible um, is truly important, not really only as like a, 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 a black male, um, but as, as someone that believes um, in the spirit of some of the things that, you know, these, these people on my shirt fought for um, and, and believes in the true spirit of, of a world one day where we are all, you know, equal, united Um, and liberated under, you know, a a sort of world and society where we're all caring for one another um, and able to live in a very, very uh, caring, communal society where needs are taken care of. And we all feel safe, healthy, happy, equal, uh, and have the opportunity to live a life um,
0: that is fruitful um, and meaningful. Dang, my man gave me the 10-point program. (laughs) (laughs) Um something that I always enjoy uh closing with, right, is asking people what's a favorite song that they listen to? What's something that we can um you know remember you by and something that can um ground us in this conversation we just had? Um so I think um I was just
1: thinking about it right now the space program by a Tribe Called Quest off of their last album. Um that 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 uh you know encapsulates spirit um because you know you have the lyrics it's time to get it together for brothers it's time to get it together for sisters um and it's time to go left and not right um and it really encapsulates you know what i feel about myself um in our in our society um and even at that uh, towards the end of the song you have mentions of of the importance that it doesn't matter what skin color you are um uh, or, or what background you come from? Um, uh, there's a need, uh, a critical need, to get united as a society, um, where you have connotations of class in that song, where they say um, all of the, if all of the, you know, rich, you know, prosperous billionaires right now were to go to, you know, have the ability to go to uh, Mars or whatever planet, so they wish, they would leave us all here, regardless of our race, uh, or, or, or what we see ourselves as right now. So there is a need. Um, to, to to come together as a united people, um, and you even have commentary on you know the the Trump administration because album released you know right after Trump was elected, um, and you have the connotations of that you know us as a Black people have struggled so much um, that that it, it, there's no point in leaving. We must stay and fight the good fight. So yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Councilman Ismanu, uh, for connecting with us today on Just In Time Conversations, WNA, HHFM 103.5. Um, this is your host, Justin Farmer. Until next time, let's continue to plant the seeds of change so we can grow together.
1: Mm-hmm.